Hello and welcome to this new podcast on European policy. My name is Clément Leroy and I'm Research and Policy Engagement Associate for the European Institute and the Office of the Vice Provost Research. Today it's my great pleasure to welcome Dr. Nathan Lee. Um, Nathan is working at the Institute for Health Informatics and he has a particular interest in data protection and data governance and that's why today we're going to discuss one of the big legislation of the moment at the EU level, which is the GDPR. So I'm sure that everyone's got hundreds of emails uh, about, about it in the last uh, few weeks. So Nathan, thank you for being here. And can you start by telling us a bit more about what the GDPR is? Well, thank you very much, Clement. Thank you for inviting me and uh, to talk about GDPR. So. Um, the General Data Protection Regulation is a new European Union regulation, as the title suggests, around protecting data. And not just any data, it focuses on personal data, so data about living individuals that uh, is processed by institutions, by companies, by organisations, um, and very much so with the new um, technological companies that we've seen arise over the last 20 years in particular. Uh, so things like Uber, things like Facebook, Twitter and so forth are all processing data about individuals and personal data as well. So things like names, sometimes addresses, um, very often political opinions, uh, ethnicity and so forth. Um, but the digital trend has, of course, um, been very, very clear in public services like healthcare provision, mental health provision, and so forth. So that's where you have a different category of personal data, particularly relating to health. And that, of course, is particularly sensitive, for example. So about eight years ago, um, the European Union was looking at the various challenges that were ahead for what was a thriving digital economy. Data was being used more openly, more freely, uh, with greater technological specification, but there were issues around it. There were concerns around personal privacy. Um, for example, when you share something on an online social media platform, you have all kinds of um, personal details being shared, and people weren't really clear on where that was going and who could see it. Um, coupled with that, you had anxieties around um, surveillance, uh, state-sponsored surveillance. You may recall the Edward Snowden revelations and so forth. Um, so the European Union recognised that something had to happen here, that a balance needed to be struck between the need for data to flow to support our economies and to improve things like our health through research and so forth, um, but also to protect the privacy of individuals and their rights to privacy and a private life, as well as think about concerns about um, state-sponsored snooping, as it's become known in the, in the wider media. So they tasked the European Commission to draft a new law on protecting data. They recognised that the existing laws that they had from a 1995 directive were out of date. So what they decided to do was to draft a new one that would take what worked from the old uh, directive from 1995 and put it into um, the new law. But think about the advances that had happened over the last 20 years. So that's where the first draft of the General Data Protection Regulation came from. This was back in 2012. And through the um, process by which European law is developed, 
Um, it goes out for consultation to anyone, any European uh, citizen. Uh, sometimes uh, European institutions uh, talk about it. Member state institutions have feedback, but also often uh, the general public, individuals can feedback on it as well. And the first draft seemed relatively um, sensible. Uh, there were a few issues with it, um, but um, there wasn't much to come back and comment on. The next stage in that process is for the European Parliament to have a look at the law and to propose amendments. Now, the European Parliament is where we elect our uh, MEPs uh, in all the member states, and they had a look at it, um, but they came back with some very restrictive um, uh, guidelines and proposals in the law. So for countries that have a very big tradition, say in public health surveillance, where we monitor how well people are doing in terms of treatments and so forth, this would have rendered that illegal. So countries like the UK and the Scandinavian countries in particular have this tradition that uh, informs policy. So this caused some concern around the ability for member states to perform public health research. And when the time came to feedback on the new uh, regulation, um, a lot of the particular health institutions around Europe, coordinated by the UK um, Wellcome Trust, formed an initiative called Data Saves Lives. And what that initiative did was to put together proposals to the European Parliament on how to amend the wording of the regulation so we weren't um, scuppering any kind of research endeavours that were ongoing with uh, an overly restrictive law. So the Parliament um, absorbed those comments and it went into a redrafting of uh, the regulation that was looked at by the European Council, which of course is... Um, uh, is uh, made up of the heads of European states, so all the prime ministers and so forth um, around uh, the EU. So by the time the process had been through these three um, institutions with feedback and so forth, um, the final draft was agreed through what's known as trilogue between the, the Commission, the Council and the Parliament uh, for the EU. And um, the final um, regulation was proposed. And what we found was a um, very sensible piece of uh, data protection regulation that personally, I think, does strike that balance between the need to data, for data to flow, but also protecting the rights of the individual, as well as uh, emphasising the need for security and care in how data is handled across the board. Um, and it also makes organisations much more accountable for how they handle data as well. So they have to show that they're actually doing um, uh, good work in protecting the data, as well as being transparent about how the data is being used. So I think all in all, it's a very positive development. But I think it's a good example of how a collaborative framework works so well to produce a law that was very ambitious. The other thing to note is that the um, different member states have different ways of handling data and different public services and so forth. So that's why you've got some delegations to the member states to decide things for themselves, like the age of consent, um, at which um, parental consent is not required for children. You can range between 13 and 16 there. But also in terms of things like the UK has the NHS, which is unique in Europe. Um, the, uh, there are various derogations, uh, which is to say relaxations of GDPR for the member state context. So you'll find in the UK law, uh, the Data Protection Act that was passed um, on the 23rd of May uh, 2018, um, those derogations are put into practice. So it streamlines with GDPR very well. So, yeah, all, all is about balance at the end of the day. And the, the question is more 
as an individual myself, like how does it affect me in my life uh, when I use personal data, what's going to change for me, but also, you know, as an employee of a big organization, like what does that change for me as well when I handle data? Okay, so um, it's probably best to start with the individual. Um, and what GDPR means for them. One of the um, big advances of GDPR is that uh, it reinforces the rights of the individual. So as a data subject, as uh, GDPR calls it, um, which is a natural person, a living individual, um, you have uh, additional rights around how your data is protected and used. So it introduces new things like a right to what's called data portability. So organizations that are holding personal data about you have to um, provide you with a copy of that data should you want it so that you can use it for your own purposes or maybe take it to another company or organization to um, have a look at if you wanted. So this is for things like, a uh, good example is um, getting an insurance quote. You're allowed to take data collected from one quote and give it to another company to give you another quote, for example. One of the things, uh, the other things that's new that's garnered a lot of attention uh, over the last eight years is what's known as the right to be forgotten, or as the regulation puts it, the right to erasure. So that's the, the right for you as an individual to ask for your personal data to be deleted and removed completely. Now, this caused a lot of controversy because an absolute law like that um, may, or a right like that, could cause harm to not only you, the individual, but also to the organization that's holding your data. So if you think about healthcare records, for example, if you demand that your medical record is deleted entirely, that could compromise your care, it probably will. Uh, but also the doctors who are treating you rely on that for their own records and their own record keeping so that they can treat you, they can share it with their care teams pursuant to treating you for your condition, but also they can use it in a defense, for example. So you can't ask for things like that to be deleted and also, if an organization would have to expend extreme effort in removing all your information, there's a balance there as well. There are limitations on that. But that right is there. That is now enshrined in law and very clearly. And so it's common sense. And again, as you say, uh, balance, which I think is the uh, important thing to consider there. But you've also got reinforced rights around the right to access data. So organizations can no longer charge you to access your personal data. If your requests become excessive, then they can. But if you ask for access, they can't charge you um, just straight out the um, out, out the gate there. Um, but also, you have rights around uh, objecting to processing and demanding that it's corrected if it's wrong. So these are important as well. And um, you can also have data processing restricted. Again, you'll have to speak to. Um, the uh, data protection officer in an organization to implement that. And I'll come back to that later. But you do have that right now to restrict the process, in particular if there's a problem with the data itself. And finally, because we've had a lot more uh, technology developed where human decision-making has been removed, so exa for example, if you're applying for a credit card or a loan, um, this is all done automatically. There's no human involvement in that in some cases. So what you have there is the right to object to that kind of processing and for any decisions made by automated means to be overturned and to have a human make that decision for you. So you can now ask that. That's something that's quite new. So there's a good um, uh, uh, suite of rights uh, that's available that improves the control that you, the individual, have over your personal data. But the important one as well is that, uh, is, uh, that GDPR... Um, has uh, transparency requirements, like I mentioned before. So you have a right to be informed over what 
organizations are doing with your personal data um, and that's where the organization has to put things into what's known as um, transparency notices you'll have heard to them, of them as privacy policies privacy notices and so forth gdpr goes to a lot more effort to make clear what needs to be put into these notices and to make sure they make sense as well they've got to be in plain um, understandable language uh, for the data subjects so that's from the individual's perspective. And flipping the coin there for a second as you become a member, uh, are a member of staff in a large organization. Um, so we have um, a great deal of um, requirements there. I think the really big ones around for GDPR for organizations that are handling personal data, be they public authorities, be they private institutions, companies, and so forth, um, the two big ones that come to mind are the accountability requirements that I mentioned before, which means you have to be, as an organization, very clear on what personal data you're processing, why you're processing it, so your purposes have to be made very, very clear, and uh, pursuant to what legal basis within GDPR. Um, being clear about that helps you write your privacy notices. It makes that life, uh, that job a lot easier. But also it helps you determine where you need to have things like uh, security policies, codes of practice around handling personal data, and so forth. You have to have these put in place, and you have to show that you and your staff are abiding by them. So in kind of first principle terms, GDPR alters the responsibility for the big players that we've had in data protection law in the past. So the data controller is the um, entity, either a person or an organization, that's responsible for deciding why data needs to be processed and how, in broad terms. They set that uh, tone and that requirement um, and take responsibility for it. And the um, data processor is the person or an organization who actually processes and handles the data, anything from uh, capturing it, storing it, uh, looking at it, reading it, writing to it, all the rest of it, creating it, recording it, as I mentioned, um, and archiving it as well. So that's the, um, the, the entity that does that. And sometimes the controller can be say, the same entity as a processor, same organizational person, of course. Um, but uh, where it isn't, you have other companies coming in to process your data on your behalf, for example. Um, that's where you have to make contract with that company and make very clear what they're allowed to do. So the controller says, you're allowed to do this with the data, and the processor has to say, yes, that's absolutely fine. So even within staff contracts, for example, for research projects, etc., that kind of processing needs to be made very, very clear. And the important thing with that is that um, the change here is that whereas before the controller took the lion's share of the responsibility and the fine if um, uh, anything went wrong in the past or the prosecution, now the processor has a responsibility as well. So a processor has to keep an eye out for what the uh, controller is asking them to do. So it could be that um, if a controller says, we want you to process the data in this way, we want you to share it um, outside of the EU in a country that... Um, doesn't have um, authority to hold the data, that would be a breach. The processor would have to say, sorry, we can't do that, you're breaching GDPR. So the processor has to say, basically point out to the um, uh, controller, you are breaching GDPR here. So that responsibility is there. So interesting. What, what I found also very interesting is how big 
companies, but also foreign big companies like big American companies also had to comply if they wanted to access the European market. But they also offered the same rights to their own like citizens in other countries. So th- like in a way, does that make the EU a world leader in data protection uh, in a way? Yeah, I'm going to put my uh, neck out here and say yes, I think it does, um, to be uh, completely honest. Um, so one of the elements is that GDPR is extraterritorial, and what that means is that it applies to EU citizens wherever they may be in the world. There's no um, prevarication there. Um, but what we found is that uh, other countries are actually very impressed with GDPR, and I think rightly so. So I understand that Australia and Canada are both looking at implementing similar laws in their countries. I was reading that Indonesia had actually started to um, put in place the kinds of concepts we've been talking about, so the notion of a data controller and a processor and a data subject and so forth, into their laws. Um, so they're following the lead there. And I think we've all seen um, uh, recently the um, uh, attendance uh, by Mark Zuckerberg before the uh, American Senate and the European Parliament, for example. And he's been very, very, very keen to say we want to follow GDPR in how we run Facebook. I've heard Facebook compared uh, to being like a digital country in the past, uh, in the media and so forth, which is an interesting idea. But um, he recognizes its, um, its utility here and its importance. And, um, you know, he wants to show that he's trying to do the right thing. But I think given that it's um, garnered a lot of attention around the world, and actually I don't get the sense that anyone's really complaining about it. They're not seeing it as onerous. They're seeing it as a good thing. I think other countries are saying, wow, this is actually really good. We want to put it in place um, in our jurisdictions. So I think it's a very good um, example of how um, uh, a piece of law has actually uh, brought to to the fore a lot of attention, a lot of thought around how we're handling personal data, and it's gathering international attention as well. So I think this is a very exciting thing. It's very exciting times. And actually, I'm quite proud of the GDPR as an EU citizen. I think this has really led the way in getting the rest of the world to think about how it handles personal data. And we're going to see that develop as time moves on. Now, there are obviously critics whether it's not perfect and so forth, but I try and strike a hopeful note. <laughs> so I think I, I sort of look at GDPR as the gold standard. Yeah. And um, But, of course, um, any law has to work in the context of its jurisdiction as well. So I think with data protection in general, what we've been desperate for is culture change inside Europe and outside Europe in terms of understanding how to handle personal data and where it flows and so forth. And I think that's uh, GDPR is a catalyst for that culture change. So Yeah, maybe the strength of the GDPR is that it's flexible enough to be applied in, you know, if it's in 28 countries, it can be all over the world. And so what, what for the UK, what's the next step? Because there's the, this Data Protection Act, and is it going further or is it just implementing the GDPR? Are they changes that are specific to the UK? There are changes that are specific to the UK but within what GDPR has been drafted to um, to encourage basically to allow. So like I was talking before about various derogations and so forth, any EU member state has to implement its own data protection law to bring the particulars of GDPR into law in their, in their, in their member states. So you'll see that um, 
uh, all the uh, member states are putting in place their own data protection bills and they're either passed their parliaments or they're near to being passed by their parliaments. But the whole point of um, putting in the um, local laws uh, for member states is to implement some of the um, uh, differences in terms of how different countries work with their kind of health departments and so forth. So the UK, the NHS is a prime example where um, there's uh, certain particulars that need to be applied in that context and that's what the Data Protection Bill does or the Data Protection Act I should say because it was passed on the 23rd of May like I mentioned before. So um, the other element to GDPR is that um, so where the EU um, defines a regulation, regulations have to be directly implemented in law in member states. Um, so the GDPR is a regulation. But um, there's also a version for law enforcement agencies around handling personal data called the General Data Protection Directive for Law Enforcement uh, that also came into force about two years ago. Uh, sorry, was also agreed about two years ago and came into force recently. Um, and as a directive, an EU directive, member states have to implement laws that achieve the goals of that directive. So the old data protection laws from Europe were a directive, and you had variation about how different member states put um, these laws into place. Um, but what you found is that um, there's a lot of variation uh, in how those are put together. GDPR as a regulation puts in place various elements that have to be consistently applied which is where the, the win is, I believe. But for the directive, the law enforcement directive, member states have to put in laws that achieve the goals of that directive. So what you'll find in all the data protection acts around the member states, including the UK's one, is a lot around the law enforcement directive, certainly. So we needed it for that. But also things like the age of consent um, for children, uh, where they don't need parental consent. The UK has decided to make that 13, for example. And where you've got things like um, the pursuit of research in a particular context or healthcare provision or uh, national security, for example, the Data Protection Act implements those provisions as per the derogations applied by GDPR. So really, um, to say it, it, it contextualises GDPR is uh, is is probably the best way to answer that. Whether it confers more or less rights, I think it's hard to tell because, as with any new law, it takes time for case law to develop, and of course, that's a kind of matter of sovereign parliaments and sovereign lawmakers and courts in the member states. So we don't know yet until we've had some case law developed how that's going to play out uh, in the UK or in other member states and what kind of precedent that's going to set. So we have to give it probably at least a couple of years before we get a good sense of that and where one member state may have um, applied something to a greater extent than another, for example. So I think that's a difficult one to answer, but I think the best way to look at it is that the local laws contextualise GDPR and make it meaningful in context while still allowing data to flow with some consistency in the, in the main purposes of GDPR. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nathan, for this very positive view. Uh, do you have anything to, to add to conclude? I think I'd just like to finish by saying that I think this is a very, very positive um, 
uh, development for data protection. It's the kind of things that, because I've been involved in information governance for probably about 15 years now, one way or another in the healthcare context, the kinds of things that GDPR is saying we need to do are the kinds of things that were recognised as good practice in the past. So I think this does raise our game in terms of protecting data across the piece. And I'm not going to say it's not going to be a little bit of hard work, for sure. You know, there's, like I say, culture change is never easy. But I think we've got a real opportunity here to actually extend the um, provisions of protecting uh, citizens in terms of handling their personal data whilst also being transparent about what we're doing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.